He is risen. He is risen Excellent. This passage is a pretty crazy passage, but John wrote it in his gospel to get our attention. I mean, we may have slept through most of his, his gospel, but here at the end, he wants us to wake up and pay attention because everything that he was writing about is coming to, a, to fruition. And so this is a critical passage. And in this passage, what is it that we learn? Well, I think we learn a couple of things. First, we learn how we can believe in the risen Jesus. Now, I'm pretty sure that every single person here has wrestled with some doubts about Christianity and Jesus. Uh, anybody here not ever doubt? I think everybody has, right? Well, Thomas um, here is in this passage to show us how we can believe. And Thomas famously earned a nickname. Anybody here remember what Thomas's nickname was? Doubting Thomas. That's exactly right. But you know what? I don't think that nickname quite, quite cuts it. At the beginning of the story, Thomas is not just doubting Thomas. He's defiant. Thomas, or unless I put my finger in the nail holes in my hand and the spear wound, I will never believe Thomas, but that's too long for a nickname. So doubting Thomas, he got stuck with that. But look what happens. He starts off by saying what? I will never believe. And then by the end of the story, he totally believes, and he says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. That right there is a radical transformation. That is someone that, that went from having no faith to finding great faith and hope and joy in Jesus. Now, we not only learn how we can believe in the risen Jesus, but we also learn how we can experience and know uh, the reality of the risen Jesus here and now. What we see in this passage is that Thomas has a personal encounter with Christ. And John writes about it here so that all of us can know we can have a personal encounter with Jesus as well. Amen? So here we go. John shows us how to believe in the risen Jesus and how to experience the risen Jesus. And he gives us some insights. i got a handful here. You can follow along with the with the outline in your, in your bulletin, John gives us some insights in the story that I think help us. And the first insight is this. Realize that the disciples didn't even believe at first. The guys that were hanging out with Jesus in the flesh did not believe at first. Uh, verse 24, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Why was he not there? Well, this text right here is hinting that he should have been there. And the little that we do know about Thomas is that he was loyal, but he was also kind of pessimistic, kind of cynical. Anyone here wrestle with cynicism? Kind of a yeah, right, roll your eyes kind of a thing? For me, I thought that was a virtue for most of my life. Thomas would only act on what he was sure of. That's not necessarily bad, 
but you take it too far and you totally miss out on so much uh, positive and hopeful things in life. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, the disciples, the ones that spent time with Jesus, they fell into despair. All of their hope was just gone. It was crushed. They did not expect a resurrection. But on Sunday morning, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, and she goes and tells the other disciples, and so they all gather together that night except for one. And who was that? It was Thomas. He was in such deep despair that the empty tomb and, and Mary's eyewitness report didn't even interest him. Jesus is dead. It's done. It's over. He was looking at life, all of life without a resurrection. His life and life throughout the earth was looking at it with no resurrection. Now, now here's what I've learned, and I think you all have seen this and have experienced this as well. It is common for people to think. It is common. How in the world can people in the 21st century in our day possibly believe in a bodily resurrection? People in the first, people, in the first century believed that because they were dumb. They were primitive, superstitious, and gullible. You know, stupid people. We modern people, we know better. We're not going to fall for that like those idiots. It's easy to adopt that kind of attitude. But listen, that's not how it was. Not at all. They were just like us. Thomas didn't have a category for someone dying and then coming back to life. And even with the evidence of the empty tomb and all of the eyewitnesses, he refused to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. Death was the end of Jesus, and death would be the end of him. So it's only natural that he would be filled with despair. Here's, here's the deal. Anyone who looks at their life and, and actually thinks through the implications of life without a resurrection and says, you know what, this is all there is, there is no eternity, when you're dead, you're dead, end of story. Anyone who looks at life without a resurrection and thinks about the implications will experience deep despair as well. If not, it's only because we're not thinking about it. It's, it's living in denial of the hopelessness and pointlessness of there is no resurrection. They don't see it. But Thomas did, and that is exactly why he was in despair. Second, we can believe and experience the risen Jesus if we don't draw the line. That's your next note, if we don't draw the line. And let me tell you what I mean. Verse 25 says this. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Two things. First, that's kind of gross, right? <laughs> and we hear it so much, it's like no big deal. But that's kind of gross. Secondly, does that sound like someone who's kind of struggling with some doubts? 
A little bit, yes, and a little bit more than that. I think he's struggling a lot with doubts. I don't think he's just doubting Thomas. I think he is a defiant and disbelieving Thomas. He was determined to be closed-minded. He was defiantly drawing the law and the, uh, defiantly drawing the line and daring God to cross it. Why was he so committed to his unbelief? Well, I think part of it is this. Whenever we suffer deep loss, whenever we suffer deep hurt, it usually comes with some anger, right? You know what I'm talking about? Deep loss and hurt can stir up anger in us. I think we've all experienced that. It becomes part of our grief. When Jesus died, Thomas, he not only lost a friend, he lost the one that gave him purpose. He lost the one that gave him meaning. He lost the one that gave him hope. But Jesus died, and so he got angry and cynical. Now, he, a lot of Christians are, are totally willing to, to talk about their, their doubts. They're, they're open-minded to re-examine their opinion about Jesus. But some, like Thomas, have drawn the line and said, like Thomas, I will never believe. And I understand that a lot of time it's emotional. Their hopes have been so crushed that they've become hardened to anything that's positive, anything that's hopeful. And in many cases, many cases, uh, they've been deeply hurt and disrespected by so-called Christians, right? So let me ask you this morning, have you drawn the line? Have you drawn the line? Have you studied the evidence of the resurrection with, with an open mind? Or, or does it seem just too good to be true, like some unrealistic fantasy? Have you dismissed Jesus because of hurtful, unloving, disrespectful church people? I've had my own problems with that. And I, I know that, that, that sometimes the strongest argument against Christianity can be church people. But here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you to reconsider the person of Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and start with that, okay? And then see where it leads you. How do we do that? Here's how. Third point in your notes. Connect with the community of faith. That's how. That seems a little crazy given what I just said, right? When church people hurt you? Well, here's the deal. I want you to see that this was the turning point for Thomas, in verse 26, eight days later his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace, with, peace be with you. Now, I don't know about you, but that would have freaked me out. We're all huddling, the doors are, are, are locked and closed and poof, there's Jesus. I would have fallen out of my chair. But I think that's why his first words out of, out of Jesus' mouth were, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, hey, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put, put, put out uh, your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. In other words, I heard what you were saying. Believe it now. Now, did Thomas reach out and touch the wounds? I don't know. It doesn't say I mean, it could have, but it seems like it never crossed his mind, like it wasn't necessary. 
at that moment, all of his defiance was swept away. And Thomas answered him in verse 28, my Lord and my God. At that moment, Thomas stopped doubting and he believed. He experienced the risen Jesus and his life and his eternity was changed forever. And where did it happen? It happened in the community of faith. Some people in times of crisis, they can they sometimes they can find comfort in other people. But others, many of us, crawl into a hole to be alone with our grief. And that was Thomas. It's why he totally missed it when Jesus first appeared to the disciples. But eight days later, he was there. And I'll bet it was kind of difficult for him to come back. Have you ever wandered away from the church and then you were gone so long, you're like, ah, it'll just be too awkward for me to go back. I don't want to go back. They're a bunch of messed up church people anyway. But he did go back. And then Jesus shows up. And Thomas's whole life was radically changed. So here's the deal. There are things that can happen to you, profound things that can, that can happen to all of us within the community of faith, flaws and all, that will not happen to us when we are on our own and all alone. That is the truth. That is reality. And so I want you to know that the community of faith is for believers, but it's not just for believers. The community of faith is for the doubters, the skeptics, the defiant, the angry, the hurting, for you and for me. And fourth, I want to encourage you that you can know and experience and believe in the risen Jesus as you trust the testimony of the eyewitnesses. Verse 29, Jesus said to them, said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, when Jesus appeared to Thomas here, he had us in mind. He knew that, that, that we would be reading this and that we would be wrestling with our own doubts. Thomas and the rest of his disciples believed because they saw the risen Jesus. But Jesus says there is a special blessing for people like you and me. People who have not believed because we have seen, but because we have, tr we have trusted the testimony of God-given eyewitnesses. We can't be sure the Bible's teaching about Jesus is true. It's all just a blind leap of faith in the dark, right? No. The truth of Christianity is spiritually discerned. We are dependent on God to open our eyes and hearts to, to that reality. But at the same time, the evidence for Christianity is incredibly strong. There were eyewitnesses who saw Jesus alive from the grave. There were the women at the tomb, the two disciples on the road, the disciples in, in the upper room. There was Cephas and Thomas and the Apostle Paul who wrote this in 1 Corinthians. Then Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time. 
You know what's more difficult to believe? It is more difficult to believe that 500 people had the same hallucination all at the same time. There is no hypnotism or shrooms or peyote that can do that. It's not going to happen. So maybe they all lied. But to believe Jesus was not raised from the dead, here's what you also have to believe. If you believe that he did not raise from the dead, you also have to believe that there was a conspiracy by over 500 people and that all of them were willing to be rejected by their friends and family. All of them were willing to lose their jobs. All of them were willing to be tortured without mercy. All of them were willing to die for, what, for that truth that Jesus rose from the dead. And all of them did so without ever renouncing that Jesus had risen from the dead. If the resurrection was one big, fat, elaborate lie, we know that with all of the public disgrace and all of the torture and all of the death, that all of them would have said, like, time out, we were just joking. Don't you know a joke when you hear one? Someone would have fessed up that it was all a hoax, but not one of them ever did. Why is that, do you think? Because they really did see the risen Jesus. It's the only thing that makes any sense at all. It's the only reasonable conclusion. So I encourage you to trust the testimony of these credible witnesses. And then last, finally, to know and experience and believe in the risen Jesus, focus on the content of your faith and not the amount. Here's what I mean. There are a lot of people who say, I don't know if I can I buy this. I mean, I, mean, I, I, my, I just, my faith is so weak. I, weak. I wish I had more faith, but I, but I don't. Here's what I want you to see. It, it is not the amount of faith that you have. It's the object of your faith. It's like a windshield in a car. Maybe you're cruising up the 15 and there's a construction dump truck in front of you and one of his back tires has the goal to pick up a rock from the street and throw it right into your windshield. And pow! All of a sudden you have a cracking windshield that goes from one side to the other. And you're like, I can't believe that truck just threw a rock at me. And you're looking at the crack. I'm like, man, this was a brand new windshield and already there's a big old crack. Look how it goes from there all the way. Oh, and then there's another. What's going to happen if you just stare at the windshield? You're going to crash, right? That's exactly right. You're going to crash. Windshields are not for looking at. They are for looking through. Okay? In the same way. If you stare at your faith, maybe it feels weak, maybe it feels like there's a crack in it, or maybe it feels like there are lots of cracks in it. If that's what you focus on, you know what happens? You crash. But if you look through your faith at the content, the object of your faith, you live. And so what's the content? What is it that you're supposed to focus on? that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Look at verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That right there is the content of our faith. The title Christ comes from the Greek word for Messiah. And the Son of God, when used by John, means that Jesus is God. That's what no longer doubting Thomas said. He said, my Lord and my God. To believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, is to believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of the great promise from the Old Testament. And we see that big picture in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve rebelled against God then life as was meant to be was destroyed. Evil death and eternal judgment entered the world and God said, but I will send a savior and I will rescue the world. And the savior will battle with the enemy and he will suffer, but through his suffering, he will be victorious and save us. You know, if God didn't intervene with that promise, Bible history and world history would have ended with Adam and Eve dead under the tree. That means all of history is about the fulfillment of that promise. Everything in the Old Testament points to the promised Savior. The law points to the promised Savior because the law convinces us that we cannot save ourselves. We can't be good enough. And the ceremonies like the feast, the Sabbath, the temple, the priests, and especially the sacrifices point to the promised Savior. And all of the stories, every deliverer, every king, every prophet, every hero points to the promised Savior. And do you remember what the angel said to the shepherds? I bring you good news of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus is Messiah, the Lord, Yahweh. He is God in human flesh. And in Jesus, the whole Old Testament is fulfilled. And we see in the New Testament that throughout Jesus' life, he did battle with the kingdom of darkness. He calmed the storm. He healed the blind. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. And when he spoke, light pushed back the darkness. Then on the cross, he met the enemy head on, and he was crucified, dead, and buried. But it wasn't over. Because our king rose victorious over evil death and eternal judgment. Focus on that. That is the content of your faith. You can have more faith than anyone else in the world, but if that faith isn't in Jesus, we're lost. Or you can have less faith than anyone who ever lived, but if that little faith is in Jesus and you believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, then you will have life. Life as it was meant to be, life with Jesus. So I close with this. I ask you, do you believe in the risen Jesus? Do you believe in him? Or are you looking at life without a resurrection? I'm asking you, right here, right now in your life, do you have a personal experience with the risen Jesus? Or have you cut yourself off from the community of faith? I invite you to believe this morning. That Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God who saves the world. The message of Easter is that you can know him. You can have a life filled with joy, a life filled with power, and a life filled with hope. You can face anything that this life 
throws at you, even death itself. And you can share in Jesus' victory because he is risen. Church, he is risen. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?